I started reading a really fascinating book this week called Maps of Time, an introduction to big history by a guy named David Christian. Uh, Christian is one of the leading scholars in a developing discipline that's being taught uh, more and more in colleges and universities around the world. And the field is attempting to link many of the discoveries in science in the last 40 years with the traditional study of history to provide kind of the overall big arching understanding of where we come from and, and who we are. Uh, he, mentioned, he says this in his book. He says, like members of a huge desert caravan, we need to know where we have come from, where we are going, and who we're traveling with. Most human communities have asked these kinds of questions, and educational systems have tried to answer them. Answers to these questions provide people with a framework of ideas in which they can understand their existence and find a role in the larger scheme of things. They provide a fundamental, much-needed sense of orientation. Well, of course, the Bible has been providing us some insight into big history for uh, at least 3,000 years and provides answers to some of these questions. It also offers us a great deal of counsel about how to live wisely and how to experience joy. Uh, True confessions, uh, I must confess that I've never, by temperament, been a particularly joyful person. Uh, I've never, I don't think I've ever really clearly understood in any depth the Bible's teaching about joy. Uh, I guess to sum up, you could, my thinking was probably about the Bible's teaching of joy as it somewhat resembled Bobby McFerrin's song. You know, don't worry, be happy. Uh, I told Robin Hill, who knows me really well, that I was teaching on uh, experiencing joy this morning, and he said, you're kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I've been trying to learn more recently about this and uh, feel like I have been learning some things and wanted to share a few insights with you uh, before we leave tomorrow uh, morning. Paul's letter uh, to the Romans is normally considered his, the most systematic presentation of Christian theology in the Bible. And in the first part of his letter to these people, he begins by explaining some of the core problems that we have uh, as individuals and as the human race. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 20, he says, Since the creation of the world, God's eternal power and divine nature have been clearly visible through what he has created. In this verse, Paul is using uh, what modern philosophers call the teleological argument for God's existence. The argument goes that if you and I are walking in the woods and uh, we were to find a very nice watch, uh, having never seen a watch before, it will lead us to some inevitable conclusions. Uh, The complexity of the watch Uh, will lead us to the very reasonable conclusion that someone very intelligent and capable made the watch. 
And I think it's interesting to know that in universities, I've read this in in many sources, uh, universities, you don't find uh, so many atheists in the natural sciences, chemistry, biology, zoology, and some of the rest of them. Uh, The more atheistic type of people in university communities tend to be people in the social sciences uh, that study people a lot, psychology, which I studied a lot, anthropology, and so on. But people who devote themselves to studying nature uh, at a very detailed level are often led uh, irresistibly to a conviction of God, of his creativity, of his incredible intelligence, of his power. And so Paul is saying that uh, God's power and divine nature can be seen. If we have eyes to see, we can look around us and, and discern something of the nature of God and what's around us. And then he describes to, turns to describing a critical error in some of the ancient civilizations that preceded him. He may be talking about the Greeks. Uh, of course, Alexander the Great and the, the height of the Greek civilization was about 300 years before Paul's life and before he wrote. So he may well have been thinking specifically about the Greeks, but maybe talking about others as well. He says in verse 21 and 23, though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. Their reasoning became useless. And their foolish heart was darkened. Instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they began worshiping idols resembling mere humans and animals. Now, we're all familiar, or many of us, with the Greek pantheon and this creation of this whole bunch of of gods that that they uh, focused on and, and to some degree worshiped. But Paul's basic point here is that people, including you and me, in spite of the evidence around us, can easily become distracted and push God out of our awareness. Uh, We can easily uh, stop recognizing his gifts, uh, stop giving thanks. We can see the slow erosion of any kind of gratitude recognition of of life as a gift, of all of these amazing blessings that he provides us, even in our continued breathing uh, from moment to moment. And it's easy for us to develop kind of an attitude and a a spirit of arrogance in that we deserve this or that. And then uh, once that we do that, uh, it's easy to develop the habit of always focusing on and thinking about uh, what we believe that we lack. It's easy then to become pretty routinely discontented and always be moving toward wanting more, more, more. And of course the result is a bitter, uh, joyless attitude that can poison us uh, and those around us in, in so many ways. I don't, I don't speak from a position of great strength in this. This has been a struggle for me uh, over my life and, and resisting the strong temptations to move in that direction. But fortunately, there are a number of examples, beautiful examples of gratitude uh, in the Bible. Gratitude in spite of hardships. 
Supreme of co- uh, example, of course, is Jesus. We know Jesus lived a quiet uh, life for about 30 years. And then he devoted three years to serving, sacrificially serving the people of Israel. And after uh, the three years of public ministry, his life, he knew, because being God come among us, he knew his life on earth was about to end. And in the last few hours of freedom, he hosts a meal for 12 of his closest uh, companions. He knew that these individuals in whose lives he had poured himself just unstintingly for this period of time would soon run for their lives uh, when the trouble came. And he knew one of them for a few bucks would hand him over to the people that were planning to kill him. He knew that he was about to suffer in ways that it's very difficult for you and me to understand. And yet in Matthew chapter 26 and uh, verse 26 and 7, we read, At this time, this particular time, Jesus took a loaf of bread and a cup of wine and he gave thanks. Wow. In spite of the darkness on the horizon and what he clearly saw was about to come upon him, he chooses to give thanks. He makes a deliberate decision to focus upon what is good around him, what is being accomplished, uh, what uh, there is to be grateful for, and he gives thanks. The Apostle Paul is another great example of gratitude. Uh, he, he wrote a big portion of the New Testament, and we know, of course, that he was no stranger uh, to difficult circumstances. In his second letter to the Corinthians, um, the Christians in the city of Corinth, he wrote uh, these words. He says, I've been in, put in jail, faced death many times. Five times the Jews whipped me with 39 lashes. Now you can imagine how painful. Uh, there's a brutal form of, of punishment in those days. Uh, 39 lashes, they say, would strip a lot of the flesh off your back. The recovery was really difficult if it didn't kill you. It says, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. I've been shipwrecked three times. Once I spent a whole night and day adrift at sea. I've traveled many weary miles, faced danger from flooded rivers and from robbers. I've lived with weariness, pain, and sleepless nights. Now, we all know how difficult, if you're troubled or you're struggling, you stay awake much of the night through anxiety. We know how that alone, how difficult uh, that can be. He says, I've often been hungry and thirsty, going without food. I've often shivered with cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Uh, he states these as a bare facts. There's no sense of complaining. He's just describing some of the details in his life. In order to make a point, um, but 
This is an individual who had faced struggle on a pretty routine basis. He was called by God to a very difficult job, but he did it despite the struggles and the difficulties that he encountered, encountered along the way. And then he makes this remarkable statement in Philippians chapter 4. In spite of all of that, he says, I have learned to be content and grateful in whatever circumstances I'm in. Again, wow. I don't think this is, this is, this is not poetry here. This is an honest statement of this individual's mind and heart. Somehow, he has probably found a secret that not very many of us have discovered. He has somehow uh, understood how to draw on the, the peace and the grace of God so that he could experience contentment, as he says, in whatever circumstances that he's in. That's, that's a tall order for us, of course. But the big question is, how? How can we even begin moving toward this? I mean, everybody wants to be content. Of course, we all want to be joyful. Who doesn't want to experience a sense of levity and joy as we go through life uh, every day? The big question is how? In light of all the stresses that are in you and me, uh, job pressures, marriage uh, struggles at times, uh, raising kids, financial, just a wide range, sometimes some physical crises you know, with our health, uh, not to mention uh, not facing something like he faced, um, how can we move toward experiencing that in our, in, our world, in our inner world in a way that's real? Well, he offers us some insight, Philippians chapter 4. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, be joyful. Don't be anxious about anything. Instead, with worshipful prayer, offer your request to God with thanksgiving. If you do this, you will experience God's peace that's far more wonderful than the human mind can understand. His peace will guard your minds and hearts. Now, somehow, in God's development of Paul's character, he uh, had reached a place so that his response, when he faced all kinds of struggles and problems, was to humble himself to the circumstances that God had providentially arranged and begin a, develop and maintain a spirit of worship toward God. Offering requests, for sure, but doing this with thanksgiving. Finding ways uh, to express thanks, looking at the details so that he could find out what was really positive and what sorts of blessings that God was bringing into his world, even alongside some of the struggles. <clears throat> and he says, if, if we do this, he says there's, there's this God's peace. You know, it, it's, it's super rational. It doesn't make any sense. It's something that comes from outside of us. It's something that comes down from above. 
and that can fill us and enable us to experience a type of intellectual, emotional stability, regardless of the circumstances that we're in. And then he repeats in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 8, he says, In everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you. He doesn't say in this passage, for everything give thanks. He's saying in everything. In other words, when something really difficult comes into your life, look for uh, areas uh, and blessings for which you can give thanks, that you can acknowledge and deliberately express thanks uh, for. Uh, I've been reading another great book. You know, I'm, I like to read. Uh, I normally got some sort of a book in my hand, and I've been reading this great uh, new book. It's called A Thousand Gifts, A Dare to Live Fully Right Where You Are by uh, a woman named Ann Voskamp, who's a Canadian. Uh, she tells the story of this book, which, by the way, is a New York Times bestseller now. She was in a, in a beauty shop, and she saw this little book that said, Thousand Places to Visit Before You Die. And somehow the idea got in her mind. She, she's, she says she's a person that's always struggled with, uh, with kind of an uh, ungrateful attitude, uh, not a particularly joyful attitude, but she thought for whatever reasons, she'd been trying to understand what it meant to, to give thanks and to have a grateful heart and a grateful attitude. She said, I am going to commit myself to write out 1,000 thanks to God about the things around me. So she began doing that. Uh, she obviously created a com- you know, computer document, and she started just really focusing and asking for guidance and trying to identify a thousand things for which she could be grateful and give thanks for. Over a period of months and a year and more, it so changed her. It so changed her thinking and her attitude and her spirit that she she put together this book uh, that's now circling the globe uh, and influencing thousands, tens of thousands of people's lives. And... um, I've been reading it, so I have, a, I have a, a project for you, should you decide to accept it this summer. Write down two or three hundred things, very deliberately. I mean, she, she says you've got to go microscopic on this. It doesn't do any good to say, oh, thanks for, you know, for my good health, you know, you know, thanks for my husband, my wife, my job. No, you've got to take it way more deeper than that. You've got to look at very specific things about your job about your husband, about your wife, about your kids, about all the things that surround you, all the great prosperity and the blessings, about your physical health. You have to go microscopic and start listing out. And as you do that, her argument goes, in the process of doing that and being grateful and expressing to God, thanks to God in that, that is the means through which God will make himself more real to us. And he then begins working in our mind and heart over time so that we have a a consistent attitude of humility and gratitude uh, and blessing. So I encourage you. I've got about 200 of them down now. And I'm going to do it. One way or another, I'm going to 
you know, over the next several months, I'm going to write down, by God's grace, a thousand things. And I'll tell you, it, it's, it's really phenomenal. Uh, I have expressed thanks for some things that I never even thought about, probably. Uh, did it this morning. Got five things this morning uh, that I uh, was really grateful for. And uh, just really, it, uh, it created a lots of, uh, of joy in my heart this morning, early this morning, when I got up before uh, finishing his preparation. Uh, I've had to work uh, pretty hard uh, to prepare uh, this this week, um, and because I've been very distracted, uh, Iris and I have had some uh, bad news. Uh, last Sunday, uh, my 40-year-old nephew, who's uh, really more like a little brother to me than nephew, uh, had a seizure. Uh, this is a guy who completed a triathlon two weeks ago, and he's never had a seizure in his life. They went to the emergency uh, clinic, did an MRI on his head, and they discovered that he has what appears to be an inoperable brain tumor. Eighty-five percent of brain tumors, according to some of the information available on the Internet, uh, are uh, malignant. And about two-thirds of the people with malignant brain tumors uh, die within 12 to 17 months of the diagnosis. Now there's been some unexpected bleeding in his brain. He's lost his ability to move and talk maybe days, weeks, or months before he gains, regains any of these functions. Of course, his wife and three kids, uh, my sister and family, are grief-stricken. I couldn't think about much else for two days. Uh, we, we have sh- he, he and I have shared so many great, fun experiences together over his uh, lifetime. Uh, we had not planned to go to the States, but the family needs us, so we're going back and try to help uh, for the next uh, several weeks. It's been an effort uh, to find in my world this week what I can genuinely be grateful for, uh, but probably no more than for some of you. Uh, all of us have our own drama going on in our inner life. And what Paul is telling us uh, is that in the struggle and in the joy and the blessings, develop the habit of recognizing the incredible multiple gifts that God surrounds us with, find a way to do that. And that, in doing that, we will experience a change in our attitude and our spirit. We will experience the grace of God in ways that positively and meaningfully influence the people around us in a positive direction. Uh, let's uh, close in prayer this morning.